Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Chats in the Blog Cabin, the show where I invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. I'm Melissa, your host. Today I'm chatting with Alan Klein. Alan has an amazing book, amazing story actually about the power of intention, setting intentions, creating vision boards, anything and everything you can possibly think of. This man has done and has gone through. Now, I will say I date myself a lot because he talks about Captain Kangaroo, and I actually grew up watching Captain Kangaroo, and I I share a personal story in there about how my dad um, used to be a deputy sheriff, and they used to call him Mr. Green Jeans because my maiden name is Green, so just thought it was kind of funny that he would bring that up because I was like, I know exactly what you're talking about, but... I really enjoyed this conversation with Alan. He is very, um, very amazing conversation. He he laughs, he jokes, he has humor, and we're talking about the power of humor, the power of the awe factor, having a little bit of wonder in your life. Um, and you also want to listen to what he what he does with his daughter on the streets of San Francisco, which I thought was kind of funny. That's really, you know, most kids do, but we're talking a, a, a man in his retirement and his daughter who's old, they're not a teenager doing this in the streets of San Francisco, which is so funny. So I hope you enjoy this episode and you know what I need you to do right now? That's right. Start listening. Welcome back to another edition of Chats from the Blog Cabin. Today I am joined by Alan Klein. He calls himself what a jollytist? Jollytologist. I love that. <laughs> We're going to talk about humor and being positive. Yes, I love that nose. I love that red nose. <laughs> and being positive. And I think right now that's what the country needs. So, Alan, before we start talking about what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. So, uh, do we have an hour? (laughs) (laughs) Um, and maybe 25 words or less. I, um, I'm an author. I have, uh, I don't know, over 30 books. Uh, my first book was the healing power of humor, which is still going strong 40 over 40 printings, nine languages, uh, many years, uh, over 25 years, I went around the country giving keynotes and workshops on therapeutic humor. And I've now expanded that because I think humor is part of like seeing things more positive. So I'm now more into uh, positive psychology. And that led me to a couple of other books, You Can't Ruin My Days, Secrets Kids Know, Embracing Life After Loss. And one that just came out uh, recently, The Awe, A-W-E Factor, How a Little Bit of Wonder Can Make a Big Difference in Your Life. Is that enough? Yeah, that's good. (laughs) Um, Let's talk about the new book, The Awe Factor. Let's talk about that. So what is that all about? So what I realized, uh, and that came about because... um, And most of the books I write come from my own life. And then I interview other people and I do research and find, find, um, you know, what scientists are saying about it and what other people have experienced about it. But it came from my own life because I look back as I get older, I was looking back at all of the incredible things that have happened in my life. For instance, I wanted to be a scenic designer. When I was seven years old and I was taken to my first Broadway show and I said, I want to make those pretty pictures in the back. 
And um, I went on, even though I was kicked out of Yale Drama School, I went on to become a scenic designer, mostly at CBS Television, designed Captain Kangaroo, which you're probably, you're too young to no, know. No, I remember Captain Kangaroo, Mr. Green Jeans. I remember Captain Mr. Kangaroo. <laughs> you got it, Bunny Rabbit, you got it. Um, and I did Merv Griffin show, Jackie Gleason show, things like that. So I did, it did become, you know, my dream. It, ha it happened. Um, and then I noticed how uh, I got an apartment in New York City. I live in California. I got a free apartment uh, when I go on vacation there. Um, I wanted to march in the Macy Day Thanksgiving parade, and that happened. Uh, I found a publisher oh, where is it? I meant to have it handy. And I did a little three by five card that said the perfect publisher will find me. And it happened. Um, I wanted to do a TEDx talk. <laughs> and I put that on my um, list. Uh, what do you call Bucket list mm -hmm. in January. In February, I got an email asking me unsolicited if I would want to do a TEDx talk for this uh, organization. I wanted a Victorian house in San Francisco, and I live in a Victorian house. I, <laughs> I can go on and on and on. And so I, I, you know, I thought I can't be the only one. And there's all these awe experiences, meeting a friend that I hadn't seen in 30, 40 years on the top of a mountain in Yosemite. And, you know, and people call it coincidence. It's, well, it happens, you know. And I realized there are so many things like that happening that I start researching awe. And what I found was it's a fairly new uh, motion. I mean, it's an old emotion, but researchers, scientists are just within the eight, 10 years, just finding out how important it is. And the more awe we can get in our life, the happier and healthier we will be. So that's how that book came about. Um, and we could talk about any of those areas you like. Wow. I mean, it seems like you have a really great, a lot of people call it manifesting. You wrote that bucket list and you've already achieved some of the things on your bucket list. What's, what is there left to achieve? <laughs> oh my God. Well, this may be in my last book, or you, but I never know there might be another book. Um, there's some country I like to travel. And of course with COVID, I haven't been able to do that. I'd like to see some um, countries. Uh, I try to go back to New York every year. I love Broadway shows. I was brought up on them. So that would be on my bucket list. Um, I, I don't know what else. I really have to update it. This is the month to, uh, for me to update it. Um, oh, I'd like to meet certain people like Woody Allen. <laughs> it's on my bucket list. Uh, eat at certain restaurants. Uh, there's one in San, outside of San Francisco I've never eaten at, a five-star, you know, Michelin kind of restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Things come up, and I just put them on the list and see what happens. I just love that. And do you work for it, or do you just kind of say, okay, I'm putting it out here. It's going to come to me, or do you kind of work a well, little bit? Well, let me... Um, let me talk about because the publisher of the current book, the um, the off actor, came because of uh, what I did, and I believe Melissa that when you struggle to do something, you're kind of putting up this negative energy. So one thing, if you want something, you need to put out positive energy, and. Um, I can go in different directions here with stories, but let me because your listeners might get some value out of this. Um, in my TEDx talk, it was about intention. So whenever I want something, I put out my intention. So Random House had been publishing, I, I did a series of quotation, quotations, uplifting motivational quotations. And there were about seven of those books. And then that division closed their doors to save money for Random House. And I had the rights back. So for a year and a half, I tried really hard to get another publisher and nobody wanted to republish them, even though they were very successful. They had sold um, more about oh, 400,000 copies, but nobody wanted to republish. So I kept trying every week, every day I would 
call another publisher or you know put a letter out or an email and i couldn't find any so i thought alan stop struggling and i made this little card let me see if it's on my desk here no i don't see it um and the card but it was a three by five card and it said the perfect publisher will find me i stopped struggling i stopped sending out a, I just put this positive energy out that the publisher, if it's right, will find me. One day I go to a meeting to hear a speaker I wanted to hear for quite a while. It's about book publishing. And I'm sitting on the aisle. A man is sitting next to me. He's turned around talking to two women behind him. And I overhear them tell him, uh, I overhear the woman tell him, that they have a very successful publishing company, but they're expanding it and they're looking for uplifting, motivational books. Wow. <laughs> and I turn around and I say, I have seven of them that are very successful. And they give me their card and say, send us the books. And I look at the card, Melissa, and this was the fine, like, find the first, rather, awe moment. And I looked at the card and their office was three blocks away from where I live. Wow. So I took the books to them the next day. I know. So it was, oh, how could they, you know, my goodness. Took the books to them the next day and they started to publish them. And then about a year later, they got too big for their little office. So they moved to bigger offices and they invited me to this party. And I walk in the door and this woman comes up to me, right up to me, she said, Oh, I'm so glad you're one of our authors now. She said, you don't know me, but I own this company. And I'm glad you're with us, she said. And by the way, I've known you for years. Look at her and look at her. And I said, I'm sorry, but I don't, I don't know you. She said, for about a dozen years, you lived across the store. I lived across the street from you. And I would see you walk your dog every single day. Wow. Second all moment. And this is the, I don't know, it's been two different companies, but this is one of their, their books that all started from that one hearing them say something behind me and, and turning around. Uh, for me, that's an awe experience. Two, two, two there, <laughs> actually. Wow. So did, did you always want to write a book? Because you said you've written several books. You said you want to do a, a scene design, but from that point, when did you start decide you wanted to write a book? Yeah, good question, because it does seem like a big leap there. So um, my wife and I have lived in New York City, and we always, she was from San Francisco, and we always wanted to have a Victorian house. And I would do, again, um, intention, I would do sketches of Victorian houses and have them on near my desk in New York City. And when we went, we visited San Francisco about every year, and we would look at Victorian houses, and, you know, someday we want one. So um, we actually moved to San Francisco, we got this Victorian house, and my wife became very ill and got an illness called primary biliary cirrhosis. It's a liver disease. And the prognosis that um, she had three years to live. Oh, wow. And indeed, she did pass away at age 34. And it was a very difficult three years. Um, but she also had a great sense of humor. And I remember one time, the, the classic example that um, I remember her using humor, she had a copy of Playgirl magazine with the male nude centerfold. And she mm -hmm. said... Alan, I really like this picture this month. Can you put it on the bed by the, on the wall by the bed over there? And I said, Ellen, this is the hospital. <laughs> you're risky for that. So maybe you're right. She said, why don't you get a leaf from the plant and cover up this part? <laughs> <laughs> and Melissa, I did that. And things are fine for the first day, fine for the second day. But by the third day, the leaves start shriveling up. And we would start to laugh. And I realized looking back, it wasn't a lot of laughter. It was 10, 15 seconds. But what it did is, I realized, helped us rise above the situation, gave us a little reprieve, gave us a different perspective, even just for those few seconds. 
And so after Ellen died, I went back to school to learn. I gave up a business I had here, went back to school to learn about uh, death and dying, became, uh, and humor, the healing power of humor, and became a hospice volunteer and um, work with people that were seriously ill and notice how they often use humor. And it was Norman Cousins' time. He was writing about the healing power of humor. And so I wrote my book. I started teaching it. And uh, my whole life changed since. And that was my first book, The Healing Power of Humor. Wow. So. That story. I mean, I totally can understand the hospice because we actually went through that with my dad, having him go mm. through hospice. And so... Yeah, you're right. You need humor in that time because there's really nothing that you can, when someone's dying, there's really nothing that you can look forward to. So just having those brief moments of levity or the, because my right. biggest memory is of my dad is actually when he was, before he was on, he was on the acute side before he went to the critical care side and it was Christmas day and we brought our dog to see him and he always called her his grandchild as well and so there's four human grandchild and one fur baby grandchild and one of the grandsons asked which is my nephew asked my dad is Allie your favorite Allie's the dog and he's like yep she's my favorite grandchild and you know just everybody just started laughing it was so funny so I definitely see that so yeah. I for are you still volunteering in the hospice now or no I'm not too busy you know helping people in a broader a broader range but if any of your listeners are interested the my one book uh well i have two books but the one i'd recommend it's a called embracing life after loss a gentle guide for growing through grief and i wrote that book as i said they come out of my life experience when my wife was dying i I had no one close to me in my life die, like, you know, that close to me die. So I start looking at books to read that would comfort me. And they'd be these huge, you know, two to 300 page books that told me how, how um, bad I'd feel, how I might lose my appetite or not be able to sleep or, you know. And I thought, I know all this. I'm experiencing all this. I don't need anyone to tell me that. And so I wanted a book that would bring comfort to people. And, and that's what I wrote. And it goes over uh, five simple um, stages of going from loss to laughter. And it just has a quote. And then it has my writing. And each one's on one page. It's pick it up anywhere kind of book. And, and people have told me how much that book has really helped them. Embracing wow. life after loss. Wow. I love that. Now let's talk about... Another one of your books, Positive Thoughts for a Troubling Time, because obviously this country right now is in a lot of turmoil between COVID, the election, everything else. This is a book that would be like, if anybody needed this book, they need this book now because there's right. a lot. Of so let's I'll talk about that book. book. Yeah. Well, again, I, I said I had seven or eight books with Random House that got reprinted with all uh, quotations because I think our uh, language we use, what we tell ourselves, and affirmative quotations are really important to keep us on a high note. Because as you just said, the news these days and COVID still is not, not great. And so yet yeah, you turn on the news and that's all you hear is all that negative stuff, all the stuff that, you know, doesn't help you uh, with stress and could stress you out. And so I thought we need some uplifting, um, positive quotes um, to, to help us get through the day. And again, it's the kind of book you could open up anywhere, find that quote for the day. I believe, you know, you things you draw things to you or they come to you and you could open the book, find a quote that could be your quote for the day and can help you get through the day. Um, so it's a simple book, but um, I think a very powerful one because I think our words are so powerful. Um, and, you know, I believe a lot. I'm just looking at a, a sign, uh, affirmation, I guess, on my wall because I believe one of the things we can do is be grateful and to help us be more positive. So instead of looking at the negative side of the news, look at what is what are you grateful uh, you know like uh, yesterday so yes 
the new president was affirmed. The new president will be in office with the new vice president. And so it was a lot of chaos yesterday, but there was also uh, showing us that the democratic system does work. Yeah. And so we could focus on that. Uh, you could focus on more things, your kids, you, you, the dog, you know, you just mentioned, uh, your garden, uh, you have food on the table, things like that. So I think gratitude is a really wonderful way to um, uplift yourself and move on from the negative stuff. And also um, words or quotations to do that. And also to be grateful for things that you want to have happen. So... I was referring to the sign on my wall that I wrote, and it's, I am grateful for the awe fact of being a New York Times bestselling book. <laughs> so it's not there yet, but I'm grateful that when it is. <laughs> Some people may think I'm nuts, uh, but uh, it works in my life. Um, so I'm going to keep using it. I love that. Now, guys, we will be right back after a brief commercial from one of our sponsors. Schools closing their doors again this year due to the COVID-19 pandemic is devastating for students, parents, and educators. Beyond that, it has disproportionately challenged low-resource school systems, further revealing educational and health inequities among communities. Teachers and parents are searching for tools that will enable schools to reopen, but many of these solutions are expensive and time-consuming. To ease the magnitude of challenges, Faced by high-need school districts, we can provide a simple solution that has a deep impact. I'm Della, the founder of Nestle Space. Nestle provides easy, beautiful, health-centered design that adapts to any environment. We design products that are attentive to bodily experience, emotional health, and ergonomics, including our portable, touchless handwashing station. Our handwashing stations bring running water anywhere with an outlet accompanied by ergonomic design. Because no plumbing is required, our portable stations can be placed in classrooms, gymnasiums, lobbies, libraries, and beyond. The CDC has identified handwashing as a critical mitigation measure for schools during the pandemic. However, as evidenced by the high number of schools that have reached out to us over the last six months, many schools do not have prolific access to running water in classrooms and in other areas which they need to repurpose as classrooms in order to increase social distancing during the pandemic. We know schools are short on resources, dollars, space, and time. We can help, but we need your help to do so. We'd like to supply our Nestle Kids handwashing stations at no cost to selected public schools in need. Our first goal is to distribute these to 10 school districts. We are asking for your help to simply cover our production and shipping costs. Together, we believe we can help students more safely return to where they thrive most, at school. In these crazy times, we thank you for considering this and for your generosity. We believe that by helping support each other, we can make a positive impact in a very hard time. Again, thank you for your support. We hope you and yours stay well. And we're back. <laughs> How perfect is it that we went right to the sponsor thing when we were talking about COVID and what's going on in this country? <laughs> right. What a great product that looks like. Yes. Get yeah. And the they, yeah. Yeah. And they've also um, originally they started doing it as a place where moms could go and breastfeed or pump. So it's not in like a storage closet so it doesn't feel so dirty but then when COVID hit they totally changed the way they produce things and use some of the things for what would be the portable breastfeeding um, stations to turn it into a hand washing station so wow incredible yeah that should be in every classroom yeah exactly so now let's talk about some of your other books like the healing power of humor Right. So that was my first book. And that shows there's tools and techniques of how to find um, more humor in your life, like just have a red clown nose around. You know, in my keynote speeches, I've given these out. We do a whole process with them, um, probably given out 
50 to 60,000 of these. And the stories I get, like, you know, stuck in traffic jams, put this on, look in the mirror, look around, people will wave to you. You lighten up, other people lighten up. My point is you don't need to tell a joke or remember a joke. You just need to have a little prop around or, a, a, you know, I love blowing bubbles out the window of my car when I'm stuck in traffic jams. So, um, you know, simp simple little things and find out what makes you laugh, who you laugh with. You might want a humor buddy that you can call up or send a note to. Uh, my daughter and I laugh a lot. Um, we, we live in a, in San Francisco, so there's, you know, when we're in, on the street and there's parking meters, we used to go over and use it as a microphone and we would sing like we're on stage into the parking meter. I know it sounds stupid. <laughs> I know it's kind of silly, but we have a great time together, you know? And um, it's a wonderful kind of, father-daughter relationship um, when, and with anyone. If you could laugh together, you're really strengthening that relationship. You know, I wonder if we can go back one step because I think I said I was going to share with your listeners um, the five ways to harness the power of intention. I was going to talk to them about how to okay. set their intention and then have it manifest. And I don't think I did that. So, yeah. so let's go ahead and do okay. that then. Great. So the first one step is be very clear. So an example, when I, I wanted to march in the Macy Day Parade, because when I was in New York, I, I designed Captain Kangaroo, and I had to do the set for it because he was the um, MC for the day. Now they have different people, but he every year he was the MC, and I had to be in the studio at 6 a.m. on Thanksgiving Day, and I thought, you know, I had to do that year after year, and I never got to actually see the parade in person or be in the parade. And I thought, I want to be in the parade. So I didn't know how to do that. I just put it on, you know, set my intention. I put it on Facebook, and somebody saw it and said, I might be able to help you get in the parade, and that's how it happened. But point is, I was very clear. I wanted to march in the Macy Thanksgiving Day Parade. It wasn't the Mama's Parade. It wasn't July 4th Parade. You know, very clear what I wanted. Second is write it down. So I, I did a little picture of the parade. It's often called a vision board where you put anything related to it and just keep that around or even just a sign. You know, like I have the perfect publisher will find me. Put it down on paper. It's much more powerful when something's on paper than when it's just in your head. And then share it with other people because other people can help you get what you want, can help you manifest that thing. And this, I think, is really important. People don't realize it. Some people have told me, well, Alan, I wanted whatever it was, and I've been doing this for a year. I have my vision board. I have it written down. I've told other people, and it hasn't happened. And I the thing is, you don't have to know how or when it's going to happen. You just have to do some steps to help it manifest. Because maybe it's not right for you, what you're asking. Um, maybe it's not is right for you, but not the right time for you. So certainly with the parade, it had to be a certain time. But for other things, maybe it's not right. So you don't have to know when or how it will happen. Just, just put that. Uh, intention out. And the fourth thing is you need to act on it. Somehow, if I just said I want to march in the Macy Day Parade and never put it on Facebook, uh, you know, never do a vision board, never do anything about it, it may not happen. So you got to do some things to, to help it move along. And the last thing, and I believe this about a lot of things, you've got to lighten up. <laughs> Again, if you're too heavy about it, if you're struggling, if you're moaning and groaning that it's not happening, it may not happen because there's negative energy. So just lighten up and just um, keep putting out what you want. And I have found um, more than not things do happen my way if, if they're right for me for it to happen. 
Now let's talk about the Macy Day Parade, Thanksgiving Day Parade. What were you, you got to be in it. So what were you in it? Where were you at? Well, um, I was a f uh, marching alongside a float for, what was that show with um, Hillbillies where they made duck whistles or something like that? Duck I Dynasty? Yes, Duck Dynasty, yes. They were on the float. I had a walk. They were on the float. <laughs> um, and it was pretty challenging. I had to be there at like 5.30 in the morning to put on my costume. And then at 7.30, we got bus to the parade route to where we were going to be. And the parade doesn't start till nine. And it was freezing or below freezing. So it was pretty challenging. But once the parade got started, and I think I read it's like two miles Melissa, it was a highlight. It was an all moment in my life for two miles because our role was to go greet people along the parade route. So I would shake hands with the kids or the older people and they would all wish me happy Thanksgiving. The kids would get so excited that somebody from the parade, they, they got to meet a famous person, you know, um, <laughs> And they were just giggling and happy and smiling. It was like everybody was joyous, you know, for two miles. Um, and and so yes, it was it was a challenge to do it. But by the end of the parade, I was literally floating in air. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, I was just so high without any drugs, you know. Just just it was just an incredible experience. So how long was it after you set the intention of being in the Macy Day Thanksgiving Day Parade to when you actually got to be in the parade? It was over a year because the first, I don't remember what month I set that intention, but the first year, um, what was it? They, they were like the book, you know, they plan way in advance. So they had all the people they needed. It was already planned. So I was granted permission to go in the next year. Um, so it took a while. You know, it wasn't like overnight. <laughs> it took a while because I asked everyone I knew. I even asked people that I knew who worked at Macy's or prior had retired from Macy's. I tried calling, could not re reach anyone. So I just put it on Facebook. I thought, you know, I have friends on Facebook. Someone might see it. And sure enough. Um, someone saw it and had some contacts. And so then it was, uh, oh, and then they wanted me to go to clown school, which I didn't do. <laughs> um, but it took a while. It wasn't, it wasn't like, oh yeah, just come because there was a whole process to it. Wow. But great fun. Great fun. Yeah, it sounds like it. So you're sitting there. So I'm going back to when you were talking about your daughter and you guys used the parking meters as you know, microphones. <laughs> Have What has people told you when they see you do this? Do they comment? Do they just sit there and laugh and walk by and think, oh, my gosh, he's off his rocker or, you know. Yeah. You know, these days with so many people on their cell phone, <laughs> they don't even notice. <laughs> Uh, those that do my chuckle, um, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's not a it's not a big thing for them to see. you know. I live in San Francisco, so you never know what you're going to see. <laughs> um, so it's not a it's not a big thing. Um, yeah, it, it's and we're having fun, and uh, I guess they they might chuckle, they might laugh, but. Uh, we're not hurting anyone. We're having a good time. And uh, so we might even give them a smile. So let's go back to the point where you were talking about in a traffic jam, you have your red nose or you blow bubbles. What are some other things that people can do to lighten up the mood? Because obviously when you're stuck in traffic, you're not at your best. So what's okay. the other so you thing? Could sing. You could sing. You can even close the windows and sing as loud as you want. Um, some people have told me they use uh, books on tape. It's a great time to, to hear that or have their favorite music. Um, 
I used to go over my speech <laughs> because, you know, if I was giving a speech that day, it was a great time in traffic jam. Um, you know, some people have told me they, they've tried, as I, as, I, as I said before, they tried to find some positive in it. Like, um, well, I didn't want to go to that meeting anyhow. Now I have a really good excuse. <laughs> so they try to find the positive in it. Um, you know, just distraction sometimes. Or uh, if you're with someone, um, do you have some jokes or funny stories you can tell each other? Or, um, you know, get to know the other person better or ask, ask um, them about their sense of humor. What, you know, what cartoon do they like or what TV uh, sitcom do they like if you don't know the person and chat that way. And, you know, it's, I guess part of it's distracting uh, from where you are or just look around. <clears throat> you know, one person that I interviewed for the art book said when they're in traffic jams, they kind of tune up their hearing and they listen to the sounds around them. Who's blowing their horn? Is that like a kind of a symphony of people blowing their horns or other noise around them or planes flying above? <clears throat> so you you can turn up other senses too, you know, and 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 kind of look for the other things around you that you might not notice otherwise. I love that. Now let's talk about the book, You Can't Ruin My Day. What's that one all about? The same thing pretty much? Exactly what you said. There's 50 things that people can do to not let anyone else uh, ruin their day. Because I, I think what we do, like traffic jams, we let it take our power away. And we have the power not to do that, not to let us stress out. Um, I know when I, I used to fly a lot and when I wasn't upgraded, which I, because I flew a lot, I was often, but when I wasn't, I would try to turn that around and I would, I would look at, okay, who am I supposed to sit next to in coach that would not have, I wouldn't have met in first class. And when I looked at it that way, I often met somebody interesting <laughs> in coach or I made it happen, you know? I thought, well, I'm gonna meet this person next to me and start chatting with them. Um, so what I'm saying is we have the power to turn around any difficult situation or any situation. Um, you know, how we can turn the news around. Yes, it's happening. Yes, it's not great. But how can I, how can I see the more positive things in the world right now in spite, you know, because both are happening at once. And what happens when we focus on the negative stuff, we push out the positive. So let's put the negative a little behind us and let's just focus on the positive for a little while so that we don't get stressed out because we know that stress is not a good thing. So let's talk about how we can do that during COVID because all we hear is all these numbers keep going higher and higher and higher. People are locked down. I know in California, there's a lot more lockdown and there's more issues of COVID than it is where I'm in North Carolina because my daughter lives out in California. So how can we go about some simple semblance of normalcy in our lives with COVID? Well, I question what's normal. <laughs> um, so a couple of things. I was a little awed this morning because I had to get um, a COVID test because I'm having an eye operation next week. And I expected, because what I see on TV are these, you know, foot-long swabs they put up your nose. And so I was a little anxious. But when I got to my doctor's office, he took out this three inch little swab and gave it to me to do my own swabbing. And I thought, wow, that's incredible. That's not what I expected. And so I know that's a teeny little weeny little <laughs> small little surprise in the COVID thing, uh, world, but it was something uh, positive for me. But the other thing I've been doing, my daughter lives in the in the same city as I do, San Francisco. 
And before COVID, we saw each other maybe uh, twice a month. Well, now we made a pact that since COVID, since March, every single day at five o'clock, we chat on the phone. She calls me or I call her. We chat, we laugh, we talk about, just the other day she talked about, Dad, you know, we haven't talked about, and she said, this is kind of sad for me to, to bring up, but when you're gone, what? Well, how would you like your funeral? And it was a chance to talk about that, how I'd like people to have bubbles, what kind of food I want. I love Broadway shows. I want Broadway songs. Um, things that she never knew, things we never talked about. And so that came up. Sometimes it's what we're having for dinner or how to cook something or, you know, what happened that day. But it's it's a wonderful way to connect with other people the phone, email, cards. I've been sending cards and notes to people maybe I haven't talked to in years, just to connect, see how you're doing during this difficult time. Because what I found, Melissa, is when I reach out to other people, I've, I kind of lift myself up. Not only do I lift them, but I lift myself. Maybe that's selfish, but um, it's just the way it works. And you connect with other people, and I think it could help. It also helps me to kind of, again, put COVID in the background and realize the connections I have, the love I have for other people, how they uh, appreciate me in their life, perhaps. Um, so again, look, look for those connections. Look at, yes, it's COVID time. Yes, things have changed. But what's positive? So uh, one for me is... I live in an incredible neighborhood that has a group of people that do all my shopping in grocery stores, in um, even Costco. If I need something, they will go to Costco for me. I mean, what a blessing. You know, when COVID's over, I'm going to miss these <laughs> people. I'm going <laughs> to, do I have to go shopping now, you know? Um, they do all this. They're just incredible. And and the other day, um, I needed. They were going to Trader Joe's, and I needed some stuff there. But they also any other store you need something, uh, let me know, and I'll stop there also. So just the seeing the generosity of people during these difficult times is also very heartwarming, um, and, and for me, very positive experience. Yeah. And I love the fact that you're saying that you're writing notes to people that you've not talked to in years. It's basically taking the focus off your situation and focusing on something that you can do to kind of help other people in their situations as well. And I love that. Yeah. And it lifts you up writing those notes or talking to, so it lifts you up too. Yep. So let's talk about Broadway shows. You have mentioned it several times in this interview. <laughs> so tell us some of your favorite Broadway shows. Oh my God, I have a number. Uh, and particularly certain scenes, if you know Fiddler on the Roof on the Broadway show, all the scenery went away. This was an all moment for me. All the scenery went away, nothing but a turntable. People of the town, Anna Tefka, they're leaving and they have all this, whatever they can carry on their shoulders is, or the wagon is all they can take. And they're singing the song Anna Tefka. And it is just so moving and so simple um, that it it just sticks in my mind every time I think of that. Um, there's other shows I was taken to Oklahoma and Carousel when I was seven. So those two shows always uh, stick with me. Our Town is one of my favorite plays. Um, and that that's um, actually related back to the awe factor book. <clears throat> in our town, this young teenager dies and goes to heaven. And she looks down and sees her family and she wants to go back for one more day. And finally, she's allowed to go back. And she realizes all of the simple things that she missed. So the last production I saw was in New York. And what was so amazing 
is they had an actual stove and the mother was in the kitchen cooking bacon. And they actually were cooking bacon. And so you not only got this visual and uh, what she's saying, but you also got this smell of, and how often do we stop and think about the smell of bacon cooking? You know, and so um, it's kind of related to the all book and that we need to stop sometimes and just look at our life, look at the people around us. Um, because, you know, what I found out with my wife and this young girl in the play, none of us know how long we're going to be here. And so um, put down your cell phone, <laughs> get away from the computer for a bit. And just look around you because there's so many incredible uh, things of, of Wanda and awe that we just totally miss. Yeah, that's for sure. I can actually give a couple examples from when I started walking this summer. I was walking on the trail and I had never seen, I've seen possums because I'm in the South. I see possums a lot. But this particular morning, there was a mama possum going across the path to get her babies. And then when we got up close enough, there was the mama possum with all her babies hanging on her. And I had oh, never yeah. seen that before. So I yeah. immediately snapped a picture so I could remember that. Yeah. Well, nature is the number one awe getter that people say. Uh, and the, the really interesting thing when I was doing research on the book is it said the scientific uh, research you don't even have to be in real nature, you know, outdoors to get some of those same benefits. If you just have a picture of nature around you and, and something that maybe brings some awe, wonder in, in you, just that photo will bring on some of those same benefits. So like I have, these were some flowers in my garden. Mm -hmm. And so I took a picture of it and I have that on my wall and Little did I know that I'm getting some of the <laughs> same uh, things happening uh, just from looking at the photo. Yeah, I so I so can agree with you. I mean, obviously, every time I would go on a hike with my husband, anytime I saw like a smooth pebble or something, I would take it up just so it I could sit it on my desk just so that I could see it and remember that time and think, OK, right. that was a great day. Now, let's put yeah. that that feeling yeah. toward how I'm feeling right now. Yeah, and I can tie that back to intention because they, um, I love this scientific study. They they work with seniors who are uh, often uh, have a high depression and anxiety levels. And for eight weeks, they, uh, for 15 minute walk once a week, the goal was to find something of wonder or awe on your 15 minute walk. And then the other group, they just went out for 15 minutes once a week and were, were not instructed to do that. And the group that had the exercise to find awe in their walk were less depressed and less anxious after eight weeks. So intention is when you go in nature next time, you know, set an intention to find something that will wow you or knock you off your feet or knock your socks off or whatever it is, but all related um, because it, it's, um, it, it will help you, if nothing else, with uh, any anxiety, any depression. And a lot of people are depressed now during COVID. So mm -hmm. it all kind of weaves together what we're talking about today. It's not just one little thing you do, but it all ties together. So what is up next for you? You just released your book, The Awe Factor. So what is up next? <laughs> Relaxing. Uh, <laughs> actually can't relax. Um, now, now comes one of the hardest things to do is publicize the book to let people know, because you can write the world's best-selling book, or not bestseller, but I mean a book that gets the highest praise and nobody knows about it, it's mm -hmm. gonna be a flop. So I want people to know about this. So I thank you, Melissa, people like you who have me on their program or their pod or their blog or <laughs> radio or TV to let people know about the book is I'm very excited. Awe is not studied very much. I think it's the new happiness 
and I want people to know about it. So thank you, Melissa, so much for helping to spread the word. So that's my next thing is um, spread the word about the, uh, you know, I, I've called myself for years a jolly tologist. I made it up. Now I'm changing it to awe-ologist. <laughs> I love so, that. Here I am. <laughs> I love that. Now let's talk first a, a little bit about your therapeutic humor. How did you get, uh, is that something you came up with or did you take classes for that? Or Well, uh, as I said, I got into therapeutic humor because of my wife, um, passing away and her sense of humor throughout our um, 10 and a half years of marriage. And we would always question, why are we still together? And my answer to her was, with you, life's always an adventure. She was a gourmet cook, and I never knew when I came home from work if there'd be dinner, gourmet dinner for two with candles and music, or there'd be 30 people in our house that she invited and forgot to tell me after dinner. So life was an adventure. But her answer why we were still together for, to me was because I always made her laugh. And so apparently humor was a really important thing um, in, in our life and, and bonding us. And, and researchers have found that and I think it's mostly women when they ask what they want in a in a man or their spouse. Um, one of the top things is that they have a sense of humor. So yeah. it, it's an important ingredient. So I just wanted, you know, I saw how humor helped me get through my wife's um, illness and loss. And I wanted to share that with the world. I had this passion to share it. And so that then I became talking about it, keynotes, workshops, and the Healing Power of Humor book. Well, Alan, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day to chat with us. Um, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap up? Lighten up. Um, put on your bucket list, your intention list. You want to find more joy, more lightness, and more awe in your life. And um, I almost can guarantee if you keep that in focus, uh, it will happen. So have a good, have an awesome year. Because <laughs> it's a new year. Yeah, new year. 2021, right. it's a new year. So once again, Alan, thank you for coming thank on. Thank you. Appreciate it. And guys, we'll see you on the next chat from the blog cabin. Y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Alan. I was really in awe of him when he talked about how he set the intention of wanting to be in the Macy Day Parade, Thanksgiving Day Parade. And he was on the, he was in it. He walked it, but he was in it. I also love how he talked about the five different power of intentions. One is to be clear when you're setting your intentions. Two is to write it down, maybe on a vision board if possible. Three, share it with other people so you're kind of accountable for your vision. Four, take action on it. Don't just sit there and write something out and don't do it. And five, lighten up and basically laugh and have a good time. I have put in the show notes all of Alan's books that you can buy on Amazon. There are affiliate links. So I'm just going to put that out there. Um, I really and thank you for tuning in and listening to this podcast. And thank you for being part of the podcast family. And please like, subscribe, or leave a review wherever you listen to and you know what I need you to do right now with your friends? Until the next time, that's right, start chatting. 